Talk Radio. I don't know much but to face that beast, make them taste that peace. I'ma take back streets, I'ma meet bad beasts on some Maybach seats. I'ma day pass east so I might go west. I feast in the night when the light go rest. Nights on my feet go Christ on my neck. I hope life leads me to a nice old death. Rose on my lip, cold ice on my breath. And I'm dressed like a groom but I never got mad. Walked out the tune like I never got bad. Call me Wallacein, awaken out of dreams. I got death on my breath. Call me Holocene. I got Greek in my speech when I speak to the God. Rims on the bends on the beach with your broad. If the dough get low, I paint a pit 16. I catch the Holy Ghost, then I sit 16. Listen like Epiphany. Listen me like a symphony. In Basilica, this literature is like jewelry made by Tiffany. Call me Rosie Gold, I got holy friends. Holy hove, I'm in holy hands. Only sold my soul to do that holy dance. Holy hove, I'm in holy lands, I'm in holy Greece. Holy Rome, I'm in ancient Egypt in that holy home. Sipping that in the sea, that pure white. I live a Genovese, see, pure life. So if you go for my ones, I'ma go for the guns. I know where to go when I go on the run for that Rolls Royce. I believe I got no choice. I make your body bleed. We practice Murta and Verta. Don't talk, oh Murta. You know the violence got a code of silence. I pose and vote with my golden phallus. Listen to like epiphanies. Listen me like a symphony. In Basilica, this literature is like jewelry made by Tiffany. Call me Saint Laurent, Saint Laurent. My pen always in the paint like my name LeBron. If the dough get low, I paint a pick 16. I catch the Holy Ghost and I spit 16. Listen to like epiphanies. Listen me like a symphony In Basilica, this literature is like jewelry made by Tiffany Call me Saint Laurent, Saint Laurent My pen always in the paint like my name Lebron If the dough get low, I paint a pit 16 I catch the Holy Ghost and I spit 16 Hey yo, Kufo Boom out, God B-O-M-E C-I-C Sinners out here who know what I'm talking about. Rest of y'all wake up. It's more than rap music. Black African Power. Welcome to the Rebirth of the African Civilization Show, the home of the Amara Squad, a well-organized lie. Defeats a disorganized truth. Peace to you, brother. Shout to him, Black African Power. What's good? Hey, yo. Hey, yo, I'm MJ, MJ, MK Ultra. Snake head on my head. I make beds till I break bread with Oprah I'm over Cobra, stay ahead of culture They make new slaves, I'ma make new niggas And on paydays, I'ma make new figures Fuck Bill Gates, I dance with Medusa And the dance bring me cake like I'm master the Musa In this world, I'm a boss and my brand new speakers Your 
of my voice and my band two features. King Tut coughing, dreams of assaulting. Seen it so potent, my speech born talking, and tongues never spoken. Scripts never written, I call that the hitting. One like almond, the unlettered prophet that prophesies the rhyming. The flow been knowledge, I own been college, and I use sign language that is so symbolic. Black African Power. Welcome to the rebirth of the African Civilization Show, the home of the Amaral Squad. What's good? What's happening? A well-organized lie defeats a disorganized truth every time. Woo-hoo-wee. Man, y'all already know what it is, man. God killer is in the house, man. Come to do what I got to do. Because we're going to do what we got to do. Um, and Raw Squad up. Yeah, got one of them classic, powerful shows tonight. Man, because we stand on the shoulders of giants. That's why we're able to see it coming when you're coming with the foolery, organizing that truth because we got elders. So when a person is kicking knowledge to you, ask them, who are your elders? Check their elders out to see if they've been tested and tried. Got a lot of people out there that don't got no elders. And so an African people without elders is not a people at all. To impart the wisdom and understanding of their life on you, it's always proper and it's always a great thing to help you push forward. So you already know the scholarship has been based off of the elders. We make nothing up around here. We stand on their shoulders and we add to the scholarship. It's probably the primary difference between us and a lot of people. So when the person is giving you information, ask them, what, who are your elders? That's very, very important. And I mean that. But, man, let me open up the line, man. We're going to have a great Dr. J. Y'all might know him by Dr. Leonard Jeffries, right? Foundational piece in the movement and the scholarship and the scientific standing of who we are. Because it's science that will tell a story on who our African people is. Always was, always will be, and that's why we keep pushing it forward, man. You know, this show is being brought to you by the RBGs. If you don't got your RBGs, you got to get them. Y'all can go right to the website, Real Black Atheist. Go to the store. You get it. Y'all know what it is, man. Economics is the base. And so economics pushes science, and science pushes technology. And technology pushes science but it's always predicated off of having a strong economic base. And so we're doing it just like that. Went straight to the source and did what we were supposed to do. It's time out for supporting those who do not support you. Hmm. Man. 
exactly what it is. So, let me see. Where you at? Brother Reggie, what's good, bro? Black yes, African sir. Power. Black oh, African power. Brother Reggie is in the house. Well, how you doing, um, Brother Reggie? Well, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited uh, because uh, hopefully in a few minutes, uh, Dr. Leonard Jeffries will be joining us. As you know, uh, um, Dr. Leonard Jeffries has been a uh, elder, uh, extended father, a mentor of mine for um, over 30 years, um, and I have uh, been able to see um, Africa through his eyes. Um, it's a very special experience. And to see his uh, league of um, partners, uh, including uh, the ancestor Dr. John Henry Clark and uh, Dr. Joseph and Joe Cannon and other partners like uh, Dr. Asa Hilliard, uh, Dr. Um, Jacob Carruthers, who are now ancestors, uh, um, 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 Sister Oradabishi um, and Askak, um, and um, leagues of scholars um, around this uh, question of intellectual warfare. So I thought it was important uh, to try to um, add a voice to, um, to, um, to, our, to, to, to connect with the young folks about what this, real, this intellectual warfare really is from the eyes of um, a battle-tested um, scholar who has um, him and his wife has committed um, their lives to uh, um, this work. And I think that, again, um, I'm not highly being highly critical of young people, but I think that we're coming to the table um, not strong enough. We have good ideas, um, but we, uh, you know, we want to be the best and the brightest among our peers. But that's not what this thing is about. This thing is not about competition with each other. This thing is about uh, winning the intellectual warfare. So um, I'm excited that Dr. Jeffries is uh, on the Amin Ra Squad show, uh, linking up with the elders. Um, um, the, um, the last thing I'll say before I give it back to you is that um, Dr. Jeffries has a GoFundMe page, um, and I'll say yeah, it a couple yeah, of times. It's uh, GoFundMe.com slash Leonard Jeffries. And um, so far, he's raised $1,000, which is kind of strange when other people are um, raising $300,000. And here you have uh, a scholar of scholars uh, only raised $1,000. So um, I have to ask people, you know, you know where is your commitment at? Um, I'm not having Dr. Jeffries compete with other people, but it's strange that he's given him and his wife has given so much, and he has all this research material that has to be preserved, has to be cataloged, and um, that's what he's asking money for, right? He's not asking money for a school. He's asking for um, personal papers of him and Alex Haley, uh, him and Coretta Scott King, uh, him and uh, Dick Gregory from the old days, him and Shekhar Diop, him and um, Niango Bora, him and Ivan Van Sertema, Asa Hilliard, him and um, over 30 years of black studies departments. Private papers of him and Dr. John Henry Clark, of 
John, him and John G. Jackson, uh, his wife and her um, uh, multiple trips to Africa, her expertise in art. This stuff has to be preserved. So GoFundMe.com slash Leonard Jeffries. Yeah, I got it in the, um, uh, put it in the chat room. And like I said, African people without elders honor African people at all. And like I said, we stand on the shoulders of giants. That's why we always write an example of what we do. We stand on the shoulders of giants. That's why we always see you coming. So once again, when the person is presenting you information and talking, ask them, excuse me, who are your elders? And then knowing who your elders are, you'll know what kind of information they bring in. And so, yeah, we add to the scholarship. As a matter of fact, I see the wise old elder right here right now. Um, you know, we've been having this real serious discussion science and the black community, how do we tell our story, you know what I'm saying? We use white man science, which I think is totally ridiculous. Uh, we use science to tell the story of African people all day long. And and so, you know what, let me let, me let the wise old elder in and, and let him uh, impart some of the wisdom over the many years of teaching all of us, right? And so it's time for us to put the elders back in their place. Right? Plain and simple. Great Dr. J, how you doing, sir? Black African power. Well, Hotep, uh, brother, Ankh, I'm certainly glad to be a part of uh, your radio audience and family, and uh, it's certainly always a pleasure to interact with uh, Brother Reggie, and that has been uh, an important part of my understanding how to relate to the young men coming up for the last almost 40 years, since the early 80s. Actually, our black studies activity, our African activity, and, and understanding the African world started in the early 60s. And then when black studies exploded on the scene, uh, at the end of the 60s, we were right there ready to help set up these programs, establish them, deal with serious research and scholarship, and to help empower our communities. The knowledge was not for ourselves, uh, to get the glamour of publications or uh, degree positions, the knowledge was there to help empower our global community, not just our immediate families and not just the communities in in black America, but the communities in the Caribbean, South America, Central America, and certainly on the African continent. So there's no uh, nationalism that says I'm not interested in what's happening in South America or Central America or the Caribbean, or I'm not interested in what's happening on the African continent. I'm just focusing on what's happening in America. That's a limited view, and that creates what I call a paralysis of analysis. In other words, you don't have enough facts. You haven't weighed the facts. You are making judgments and expressing yourself in very strong terms, and you have a limited grasp of really what is happening. So what we need to search is for is a systems analysis where we look at things in a, in, in a deeper way and we begin to connect uh, dots and see several levels of things at work in the same time. And so when I'm teaching in my classes, uh, and I teach all over the world, because wherever I go, any space is a classroom, we're saying be cautious about paralysis of analysis. You get a little bit of knowledge, and from there you want to run 
and deal with the whole ball of wax and you don't have a grasp of the whole ball of wax or even the tools to understand what the whole ball of wax is all about, step back, get serious, do serious work and understanding, and then come up with a systems analysis where you can link the things up. And first and foremost, I tell people systems is key. And every system has three major components. Uh, first component is your is an economic component. That's your productive creative capability or the creative capability of the environment or the productive creative capability of the universe. So the economics has to be put into any factor that you be able to look at something. And then you relate economics to politics. Politics is your management capability. So if you look at the economics questions and then you relate it to the political questions, you've got to go deep. You can't just go into the personality of a particular individual who is glamorous or who is sensational. You've got to deal with politics is your management capability. And everybody, every organization, every culture, every nation has to have a management capability. And the most important thing to manage is your economics but none of your economics and your politics, which is the foundation of everything, will work unless you have culture. And culture is not jumping up and down, shaking your booty, or or dealing with the limited musical world that we have. Culture is your deep understanding of life. Culture can be at a low level, can be at an intermediate level, it can be at a high level. But what you want to strive for is moving from the lowest level of culture in through the meet, intermediate into high culture. And then you'll be able to see the science of the universe, the laws of the universe. You'll be able to see things that were not even thought of available to you when you go into the high culture. And so um, that's what I try to t- let our folks know. Go deep because it's a struggle for the African mind that's at play. Mm. And that African mind, and I mean black people, I don't want to go into what nature of African people, who, who is in Africa. People of color in the main are African peoples. And you struggle for the African mind in order to control the African mind. Now, I'm, play, I'm playing on words there. The African mm-hmm. mind, M-I-N-D, has to be controlled and struggled for so it can control the African mind. M-I-N-E, the wealth in the ground in Africa and and in the Caribbean, in South America and Central America, so that uh, we've got a a double task. We've got to be ready to to fight, as Frederick Douglass said, if there is no struggle, there's no progress. So we've got to have scholar warriors, young Mm -hmm. scholar warriors Mm -hmm. being prepared to be fighters. But then you can't continually fight you got to also have the capacity to build. And so with that comes serious knowledge. So you have to be a warrior. And so there's intellectual warfare that we have to win, and we are winning because the truth is on our side. But there is the future foundation, which has to be a building process. And so you've got to have the skills of, of how to be master craftsmen, in several areas, like uh, one of our leaders who they try to claim was a Tom. Well, here's a, here's a brother who fought his way out of slavery and then tried to build institutions. And his master institution was Tuskegee 
Institute in Tuskegee, Alabama. And his thing was self-determination, self-development. Have a plan of action. Work out the plan. Control your economics. Master your politics, not the politics of other people. And then have a culture that speaks to you. And so he was saying that you need to build your own buildings. Make your own bricks that go into the building. You need to manufacture the products that you're going to wear on your back. You need to grow your own crops. Have a science of, of crop development. Have a science of, of building. Have a science of, of skills, trades. So we got to look at things a little differently than we've been looking at because mm-hmm. it's easy to label on somebody and say, he's a Tom. But then have you looked at his life and have you weighed it? Have you seen the factors he was up against? Have you seen those systems that are arrayed against us? We're not up against a Trump who's now captured all the news media. We're not up against uh, 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 the fellow in Florida who uh, who, uh, murdered uh, our young brother. We're, We're up against systems. And so understand the personalities and the individuals and their role that they play. But if you can't synthesize them into an understanding of a system, then you can't really make the mark that you would like to make, and you can't accomplish what you would accomplish. So luckily, we learned this early on. I don't know how my mother and father and my grandmother and grandfather and those folks, they wanted us to be multi-talented. I mean, my father wanted us to be a baseball player, and because uh, he played with the Negro Leagues, my mother wanted us to be, she had me trying to be a scholar at a young age and also trying to be a musician. I played a sax for 15 years, a, a saxophone, wrote tenor and alto. And so they wanted you to have training and skills so that you could deal with the world. And so we blessed to have our families who can understand that. And, and and push us in those directions and make us realize that you have to learn how to do many things. So you have to manage your time. You have to learn how to be a healthy and strong person. So, yes, athletes, athletics is a part of what you do. So we wanted to be the uh, Jackie Robinsons in terms of baseball and whatnot and the Paul Robinsons in terms of, of, of not only football but also culture. But you master that by putting in the time to discipline yourself and then manage your time in such a way that you're not BSing and passing the time away doing nothing. In other words, masturbating in things that you should put aside instead of getting the type of skills that develop what I call mind, body, and spirit science. You know, to deal with the body, you've got to have a science of the body. To deal with the mind, you have to have a science of the mind. And to deal with the spirit, you have to understand deep understandings of, of, of things spiritual. So it's been a blessing for me to be a, a, a professor, a teacher. And uh, I say it educator. with right and sacrifice, educator, academics, if you want to. If you want to go down and play basketball, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I heard you were quite a basketball player there, sir. Well, the thing is, I love to play sports. And so 
basketball is not just a game, it's a science. And so you have to have certain skills and master them. You've got to have an outside game when I was playing it, plus you had to have an inside game. I used to have two basketballs in the in the back of my uh, trunk and was ready to play at any time. But that was just part of the development, mind, body, and spirit. So the mind comes first. Before you got a body, there's the mind. That's the first thing that develops from those cell cellular processes that produce uh, you. And, and then the body comes along. And in order to make this body function fully, then there's a spirit, there's a soul, there's a, an unseen uh, part of the universe and the cosmos that you are a part of. And so uh, you, you have to understand these laws of nature, for example. If, if you think the wrong things, that's going to be the devastation of your mind. You're going to be thinking the wrong If you eat the wrong things, you're going to become seriously ill. And instead of generating your health, you're going to degenerate. And so we just need a, a more serious approach to how we mm. view life. But that doesn't mean that you won't have the joy of, of um, you know, I mean, my wife and I, we, we, when we hear music, we want to jump up and dance, not show off or show out, but to, to be a part of it. It moves us. Our people master the science of music because it taps into the, the, the rhythm of the universe. Uh, it, it's not something to make money on. Now we got our moneymaker musicians, and uh, that's this culture of consumerism. But ours, we come out of a, a humanism that developed these sciences for your upliftment. And uh, so I think... Well, can, I, you know, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Now, and I heard, and I heard you. Right, I'll ask if you're gonna be nasty. I may have to say, wait a minute, brother. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm never do you. Yeah, go ahead, brother. I'm just messing with you. Listen, and I heard you uh, speak of the science and, and getting your mind right. And I think the direction we're going in now, you hear a lot of people talking about that we don't want to deal with science because science is a white man's thing. And uh, I, I'm taken back with that because uh, uh, watching you over the years, uh, one of the uh, ways that that we could that we could show, and the way you showed that the African people is the oldest humanities was by using science. Can you kind of speak to that for the listening audience, so they don't think that the Amaral Squad is just you know just making this up? That that is that that is the way that you can actually analyze and figure out who you are in the world is by using science. Could you kind of speak to that, please? Well, certainly. Um, that's key and, and crucial. And there's several levels of science. There's several types of science. Uh, but there, there has to be science. Science represents the unveiling of the laws of the universe. And if you don't have your grip on these laws of the universe, you, you cannot move uh, like you should. Uh, for example, Africans, uh, the first peoples, were forced to begin to understand these laws of the universe. And uh, if you lived along the Nile River Valley, one of the first understandings that you would have is that at a certain part of the year, that Nile River was going to overflow. 
And with the overflow, your housing, the fields that you develop for your food, uh, were going to be devastated. And so after a while, you, when so much of this is happening, you begin to say there must be a better way. And then you begin to notice things around you. You notice that when the Nile River starts to overflow, there's a certain set of stars in the heaven that are in one part of the heaven. And then when the Nile gets to the point that it's going to overflow, those certain set of stars are in another part of the heaven. And then after the Nile gets ready to go back to its banks, after it dumps this rich soil all over uh, the banks of the Nile, then there's a certain set of stars. That certain set of stars is in another part of the heaven. And then after you plant your crop, then the harvest is going to be in it. So you begin to see that the movement of the heavenly bodies is related to the movement of life on the earth. And then you begin to look deep and read these things so that you are prepared to move out of the way when the Nile is rising. And then when it begins to overflow its banks, you're prepared. You have moved out of the way so the rich soil can get into your world. And then you can plant several crops because of the richness of the soil. And so that science of the cosmos relates to the science of the ecology. But then as you go deep and your mind is working, then you say, wait a minute. The human family increases after a certain relationship of the male and the female. And then when you begin to study and notice these things, you begin to say, wait a minute. The male has a relationship with the female, and there's an exchange of fluid where the sperm is. And then when that occurs, a certain set of stars are in the position in the heaven. Then after a period of time, the certain set of stars are in another position in heaven when your wife begins to emerge with child. And then after another period of time, there is the childbirth stars are in another position, and there is the harvest of the human life. And so you see in the heavens the glory of of the creation and the creator, and you begin to pay respect to it. But then in the human family, you see the glory of the creation of human life related to the glory in the heavens. And so you begin to see what we're referring to as the divine order in the universe, you see it in your partner. So, Dr. Jeffries, so this is Brother Reggie. So, um, you know, I have been a student of yours um, probably over 30 years ago, roughly, right? So uh, you're definitely giving an overview. But when we sit in your classroom, right, uh, you always uh, push books in front of us. So this... This saga of early man and uh, the development of consciousness and science. Uh, what books and what are some of your colleagues uh, um, that you would point us to um, that you've had interpersonal relationships with uh, that um, that says this stuff? What you're saying technically. So if I was in your classroom and I was trying to get an A for African, not a B for black, and not a C for color, and definitely not a D for dummy, right? Uh, you, would, you would give us a solid curriculum, right? And the problem, one of the reasons why I bring that up is because 
Um, young folks are not reading today. You know, they're watching videos. They don't have bibliographies. They're not reading the greats. So there's these greats. There's the John G. Jacksons. Uh, there is the uh, Chancellor Williams. There is the Shekhanti Diops. Uh, now there's the Theophilo Bengas. Uh, what are the technical crafts that we need that you would think that young people need to engage in this body? Because on one sense, I hear what you're saying, but on another sense, I know that there are a lot of people who take what you're saying and they do a Bobby Hemant. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bobby Hemant to a certain degree, but it goes a little bit too far sometimes, right? What, are the what is the technocraft that we need? Well, we, we definitely need to, to appreciate how knowledge is produced, how it's discovered, how it's refined, how it's transmitted. And so, and you need a systemic way of doing that. So as you know, in my classrooms, uh, Brother Reggie, I always put up something that you can identify with. I put the triangle, the triangle shape of the pyramid and then I use it to teach from. And so you got to relate the three points of the pyramid as you process this information. And so at one point, the foundation point is what we call the thesis, the foundation, the beginning. And that thesis begets or produces the opposite. And so at the other foundation of the pyramid, you have the antithesis or the antithesis. And so one of the basic rules of understanding uh, the knowledge and how it relates to each other is to deal with the laws of opposites. And so the laws of opposites uh, are come into play, and many of our great scholars have mastered that, and so I'm trying to teach from that. The laws of opposites, for example, uh, you have the female factor in life and you have the male factor in life. But then the laws of opposites also involves a law of complementarity and a law of... And so when the female and the male connect, they produce the top of the pyramid, which is the synthesis. And so we have to be about understanding life is about synthesizing. And what do you want to be able to synthesize? Foundational knowledge, facts and information that have been tested and that are not myths and legends, even though myths and legends can explain some deep part of, of what you should know, but myths and legends are just that. They are not the deep scientific truth that you want to be able to have, but they will explain concepts and ideas. So to talk about thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, people say, well, are you, talking about, are you talking like the Greeks? Are you talking like the Germans? No, Africans understood that. The, they were the first to talk about the foundation of the laws of opposites and see the, the scientific uh, relationship. So our greatest scholars, the elders of the elders, going back into the 1800s, understood this. And so it's fantastic to see people who came out of a, a historical context that said black people were not even human and that they certainly uh, cannot be considered as contributing anything to, to the 
Development. And, and these scholars that you're talking about in the 1800s, so you're talking about uh, Delaney? Who are you talking about? We're talking about in the early 1800s, you had a, yeah. a, a brother who who took the knowledge that he was able to grasp from being in part of these societies, including the Masonic societies, and he was able to lay it out, David Walker, and he made an appeal to black people, master the knowledge so you can rise up and take control of your life. Now, that was in the 1830s, but even before him, go back into the revolutionary period, and a master of the knowledge who was there at the founding of these United States is Benjamin Banneker, who happened to be a free African person who was able to get a decent education and study the laws of the universe. And so he was able to master the significance of Kemet, Egypt, and master the significance of astronomy, the study of the universe, and produce the first clock of its kind in these United States and produced the first almanac that dealt with ecology and astrology. And his skill was such that the founding so-called fathers of this nation, the George Washington, the, the uh, Thomas Jefferson, the, the Madisons and Monroe, the, the slave slavers that laid out the foundation of the United States, asked this African man, to bring his knowledge to bear as they laid out the new capital because the Frenchmen, disgusted with these slave owners, left and took the plans of Washington with them, to with him to Paris. And so the founders of this nation, the, the white slavers of this nation, the Jeffersons and the Moreaus and the, and the Washingtons, had to go to a black man and ask him to pull out of his computerized, well-trained mind the plans of Washington, D.C. as a planned city. So you can go back even beyond the elders of the 1800s into the beginning of things that a Banneker represented, and he even had the courage and the ability to write a report challenging Thomas Jefferson on his thinking. So you have the Bannockers in that period. Then you have coming to the 1800s, and you got people like this young brother who gave a scientific analysis of what the universe was and called upon black folks to revolt against the enslavement. And then as these revolts took place, and you had a series of Gable, Gable Prasa in the 1800s, Denmark Vesey in 1822, and Denmark Vesey's church uh, is the church that was the center of the of the struggle in Charleston. And then in 1831, you had a, another brother reading the the stars and studying knowledge and understanding history, he produced the slave rebellion that was referred to as the Nat Turner Slave Rebellion. So that you had these brothers who were trying to fight enslavement and they had to use science as best they could discern it mm -hmm. and discover it. But then you had some that got rudimentary training, went to the best institutions that the Europeans had, and they went beyond the European in their understanding. So you you had uh, the uh, great scholars that that we referred to. Dr. Clark always referred to the 1800 uh, of the scholars of the 1800s. And so when you want to understand them, you got to go get their books. And so they wrote outstanding works and laid the foundation. Uh, Delaney 
laid the foundation for us looking at the African continent and thinking about moving back to the African continent uh, as as a hope for our future. Uh, you had the Edward Wilmot Blyden, who went back to become the president of Liberia and wrote a great work on the relationship between Christianity and Islam. And so these individual scholars were able to be productive. Out of Ghana came a brother who, at the turn of the century, Casely Hayford, and he wrote a great work, Ethiopia Unbound, and she was looking at the fullness of our history. And of course, uh, during the uh, period that just before the uh, 1900s, the turn of the century, uh, a brother went to Harvard, did his PhD on the slave trade, uh, was a foundation person in terms of sociology, and that's W.E.B. Du Bois. And so he was. Not and and I know you didn't. I know you didn't mean to uh, leave out uh, Frederick Douglass. Um, these are people with uh, no uh, real training but could become statesmen. Um, well, no, well, you can't say no real training. They had real training. But they, <laughs> they didn't have the formal education that right. gives certification out of the white process that they had training. Uh, uh, Frederick Douglass uh, and others fought their way out of slavery. But there's no way that someone could be as articulate as he was, as conscious of the movements around the world as he was, without building on that indigenous training. He was a friend in slavery of a little white boy whose mother was teaching the white boy how to read. And since he was the playmate of the white boy, he was smart enough to learn the lessons that the white boy was learning. And so he didn't have the formal, but he knew how to take the informal, out of the formal for the white youngster. And on that foundation, he built one of the great minds, intellectual spirits of our world. Just read his articulation of understanding, of ideas. It's, it's amazing. You know, we just had the 4th of July, and he was asked to speak on... 4th of July is a sham. Right? What is this 4th of July to the Negro? Like no other <laughs> The sham. I mean, just the most devastating statement. I mean, it wasn't a Harvard degree or Columbia University where I got a couple of my degrees that allowed him to do. That was work in in the in the wee hours of the night un, under some lamp and mastering and reading books. And and so you have to discipline yourself uh, to be that type of an individual. So these brothers, like Frederick Douglass, who was smart enough and had cur and courage his sons to fight in the Civil War because it was going to be a struggle for the liberation of African peoples. It so was you're talking about the Massachusetts 54th, right? And and, and that, that whole group of the Massachusetts 54th African peoples who said we're prepared to die for the principle of ending slavery. And Frederick Douglass said, this is what I want, and I'm willing to have my young men, my sons, be a part of it. And so we have to uh, we have to see the lives of these individuals and how serious they are. And Frederick Douglass lived a long time. He lived nine to ninety five, so or so thereabout. So he was able to overlap 
uh, Booker T. Washington, and also uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. And uh, so he becomes an inspiration uh, to that group that f uh, came after him. And that group not only include the ones we know, like uh, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois and, of course, uh, Booker T., but you had Monroe Trotter and these other individuals who mastered what formal edu education they could get, and they developed their own process of research and understanding going beyond the formal white education. But and just to add, Dr. Jeffries, because um, because this is not just United States-based, this explosion was happening around the uh, black world. So we have the Zumbia Palmaris, we have the Desaline Bookman, the Toussaint's, uh, um, we have the Haitian Revolution, and uh, one of the greatest. So you, you and I are thinking on the same wavelength. <laughs> when you mention Zumbi of Palmares, <laughs> people may not understand that. But the first nation in the New World that came out of the enslavement period was not Brazil or the U.S. or whatnot, but it was. Africans who freed themselves and went up into the mountains of Brazil over a period of a hundred years from the 1500s to the 1600s. And these Africans formed communities and linked those communities into a nation. So that's what we refer to as the Republic of Palmares, free communities linking themselves and defending themselves with wars against the Portuguese and the Dutch for over a hundred years. And the great leader was Zumbi, who they say committed suicide, but another folks say that he was betrayed by some infiltrators that they let into these communities because they not only had the enslaved Africans, they not only had the indigenous uh, Americans, they allowed the mulattoes to be a part of it. They had white folks who wanted to be a part of it. And so they were operating under a republic of the new humanity and not just some something for rich white men with property and power. So Reggie raised the question of that happening in the 15 to the 1600s. And I, we used to go every few years, we would go down to be a part of the celebration of that in Brazil, November the 9th, November the 20th uh, was the national black day. And we would have a pilgrimage up to the mountains to revisit the spirit of these people who set up their communities. Before there was a United States, there was a Republic of Palmares, is Portuguese for palms. And so that was one uh, uh, example of African people's understanding that this slavery was not their lot, that they were born free and put into enslavement. And so that northern part of South America had the same thing. When you had people who went into the left the slave plantations and went into the forest and established their own republics. So you you had the republics of the Zuramaka and and they became free. They negotiated a free status in the 1700s among uh, uh, the, the Dutch. And in the islands of the Caribbean, you had Africans who went up into uh, the, the mountains of Jamaica and other mountains. Uh, St. Vincent and whatnot, and established their free communities of the Maroons. So there is a history, as as you mentioned, uh, that we need to see 
the struggle to restore African humanity over the last hundreds of years is one of the greatest stories in human history. And over the last hundred years, what we've achieved, even though we say, oh, we're locked down, we did this and that, our people in prison were poor, but to have a system of dehumanization put in place on your back for several hundred years, and within the last hundred years, you were able to throw off that system and begin to establish a new world for you. I call it the new African Renaissance, the rebirth of new consciousness, new knowledge, working, building on the old knowledge. And so there was a series of individuals and scholars and a series of organizations and institutions that over the last hundred years has become a tidal wave. It's hard for us to understand it, but I've been in the middle of it for the last 80 years, and I've seen uh, uh, communities in our cities that grew into urban powerhouses. Of course, we didn't have the understanding to make those urban powerhouses that we call black power uh, into our own system because we had still yet not understood that we need our own system of, of, of plans and values and, and and cultural development. So we were developing the cities. I just went over this with my wife uh, earlier today, that during the 60s and 70s, of the 20 greatest cities in America, a dozen of them were controlled and run by black folk. But the difficult, and that, mean, that meant New York, that meant Chicago, that meant Los Angeles, that meant Washington, D.C., that meant Oakland, California. That meant uh, Cleveland was the first to get a black mayor. But we didn't systematize that power to control the economics and politics and culture of the cities for our own uh, our plan. Because as one of our great scholars, one of our, my great partners, uh, Dr. Amos Wilson, pointed out that we have spent time trying to find a niche into the white system because we thought that was the only game in town. So we learned how to survive in the white system. I call that white cultural survival of black folk. But the mind over the last 50, 60 years has said we need our own system. We established systems of economics, politics, and culture. We took civilization to its highest level. We don't need the white model. The model is the model of African peoples and Afro-Asiatic peoples that produce the cultures of the Nile, the cultures of the Niger, the cultures of the Tigris Euphrates, the cultures of the Indus and Ganges in India, the cultures of the Yellow River and, and the uh, Yangtze River in China, and the cultures developed in Central and South America around indigenous peoples. So we don't need the European model to develop. And so... So one, so one, so let's just um, slow down for one second because, uh, listen, I mean, this is an advanced black studies class, right? Um, normally you talk in uh, turning points of history. So we just did a period from roughly 1482 when the European uh, came upon Africa, right? Yes, West and, Africa, and, yes. And, 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 and there was a period before then where unfortunately Mansa Musa opened up Africa by showing its wealth to the Arabs by um, by being Islamized, and then the African also went to Granada, Spain, took that over, right, and became a African Moorish type empire, 
right? Um, but Africa was opened up, uh, and Europe was land poor, resource poor, people poor. Uh, they got the Arabs got a spark. Right, go ahead. The Arabs got a spark from a wealth from Mansa Musa. Um, the African also uh, took Europe out of its dark ages, right? When they were suffering out of plutonic uh, plague, they right. land for resources. And this spark between the Arabs' new wealth and understanding of Africa, and then the Africans on Europe wakes Europe out of its demise of its falling Roman Empire, right? Yes. Um, they call it the Dark Ages. They put a name yeah. on it for a thousand years. You're talking about the Dark Ages in Europe. Mm. And, uh, That's they, a long time. they came out of the Dark Ages by tapping into the knowledge of African peoples. And they right. So the Arabs got a golden age from ancient Egypt, right? Because yes. they were able to sack Egypt finally. And they get their golden age, right? Um, the African on the West Coast had um, from Niangabora, from Shekhanta Diop, from Theophila Banga, uh, and from uh, they had a connection to uh, Nile Valley civilization, but they are but they became Islamized. So we get to this period pre-slavery, well pre. Uh, yeah, pre-Arab slavery and pre-European slavery, where African people were the the light of the world, and yeah. uh, and then there's a collapse, and then and then Africa is thrown into an uh, incredible pit that we've been working ourselves out of from 1482. So mm -hmm. you have these periods that you talked about, and and and. We also have these forces controlling these systems. So one of the things that you were talking about is that we got ourselves out of a situation of um, these nation states. So we were fighting on all different fronts. We were fighting the Arabs, the Arab slavery, and we were fighting um, the, the awakening Europe, the Brandenburg Germans, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the French, the English, and so, but we weren't doing this, we weren't doing this because we were um, lacking. If we did not, we, we had something in our minds and in our hearts to help us prevail. Otherwise, we would be extinct, right? So I just wanted to add, the because um, normally you talk with uh, uh, these periods from 1482 to 1536, uh, this period, right. and then, yes. One of the ways to explain it, um, even though we were starting from going back, is to go way back in the beginning and then come up. So that's going to be difficult, but that's what we, we need to do before we finish the work today, and we'll continue this. You did a good job, Reggie, of trying to explain that, and this was an intellectual not an intellectual compliment, uh, a warfare. We, intellectual warfare was African peoples fighting with the dominant cultures that wanted to enslave us. But mm -hmm. there was an intellectual complementarity, I'll call it, between a yes. Dr. John Henry Clark, who was a historian. So he looked at this flow of human development in terms of 200-year periods. I have a letter for him in which he wants me to deal with, like you said, 14 
uh, hundreds to the 1600s, his letter says, I want you to deal with that. You've dealt with it in your lectures, and I want you to write uh, something that will be a compliment for what I'm writing and let's and deal with the 200-year period in which the European mind of enslavement uh, developed. And, of course, the European mind of enslavement that met peoples of color and enslaved them comes out of the European mind uh, that hundreds of years before, 500 years before, when you had the white slave trade. In fact, the term slavery itself comes out of Europeans enslaving Europeans before the mm -hmm. Europeans had any relationship. Uh, the modern Europeans or the AD Europeans had any relationship with African peoples. They enslaved themselves. And so slavery comes out of the enslavement of Western European Christians dealing with the Slavic peoples of Central Europe who were not Christians, so they were pagans, so-called, and they could be enslaved. So the Polish people, the Russian people, the Yugoslav people, the Hungarian people, uh, these were the people who were put into an enslavement process 500 years before the European came into Africa. Well, you're talking were, about Byzantine? You're talking about Byzantine and Arab period? We're talking about the emergence of the European trying to reestablish himself out of the, the fall that took place. The light went out in Europe when they closed the great societies, which had been perpetuating and carrying African knowledge. These great schools, which taught the Europeans, they decided they were going to close them. And in 325, Constantine said, we're going to close the light coming from these institutions. And so they went into a funk for the next uh, thousand years, they went into a funk from 1350 or 25 AD. They went into the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages for the next thousand years, and the first part of that included the white enslavement. But after 16, the, the Prophet made his move from Mecca to Medina, and then eventually uh, the Arab peoples came into the Nile Valley at the end of the 600s uh, A.D., and then they began to take the knowledge of the Nile and produce what we call Islamic civilization. And so the Europeans were faced with the rise of Islamic civilization, and in the 700s, the, the African-Arab mixture of peoples called the Moors were able to move across North Africa, and 1714 A.D. go up into Europe and conquer Spain. And they were heading toward the rest of Europe. But they settled on Spanish conquering. Uh, the, the southern part of Europe was then part of the Islamic world, the African-Arab Islamic world. And for the next uh, 700 years to the 1400s, that existed. And the date that represents the change is 1492. 1492 is when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But that was 1492 in August. 1492 in March, the last African Muslim stronghold of the Moors fell, and that was Granada. So when we look at 1492 as a historical date, we need to look at it from several perspectives. The war between Islam and Catholicism led to the victory of 
the renewal of white control over Europe in 1492 with the fall of Okay, Grenada. so you're talking about the uh, first inquisition. The first inquisition is the destruction or depleting of the Arabs, of the, uh, the Arabized Africans of wealth. Yes. The first so you have 1492, the Muslim conquest, or the loss, the European conquest of Muslim territory in Europe. You had 1492, when there was a struggle between the Jewish, Sephardic Jewish population that had been in Islamic Spain for hundreds of years, and now they had to deal with the new conquerors, that's the Catholics, and so they instituted in 1492 a serious inquisition, and so the struggle between uh, Islam and Catholicism and Judaism actually produced the Columbus phenomena in August. So you had March 1492, conquest of the last Muslim stronghold, uh, in July 1492, the Inquisitions, etc. August 1492, Columbus is financed by Sant'Angelo and Abernal. These were Sephardic Jews that handled the management of money in the Islamic uh, empires that were now Christian, and so they switched over to the Christian to handle that. But they financed Columbus with the hope that he would find some new land somewhere that the Jewish population, the European Jewish population, Sephardic, the North African Jewish So you were talking about the conversos, right? There's a technical term that they call themselves the conversos, the secret, right. yes. Okay. Or the Moranos. You yes. had uh, the, yeah, the Moranos Morano. mm -hmm. and the conversos. Mm -hmm. These were the Sephardic Jewish population uh, that converted uh, to Christianity in order to survive. So they moved yep. from development. I just have to add, Dr. Jeffrey, just for the record, right? So, and I know this might be a little off topic, but, uh, you know, people like to romanticize about the black Hebrews. No, we're talking about Sephardic Hebrews, right? Sephardic Jews. We're not talking about, uh, at this point, black Hebrews. They're not, uh, they, they, is, is there any sweep of history with what you call black uh, Hebrews? Again, we'd have to go... Um, we, <laughs> we'd have to follow the, Dr. Clark's thing. My thing is the dealing as a political scientist and someone interested in economic development in a 50-year right. turning point where things turned around. But Dr. Clark, being the historian, looks at things larger, so he dealt with the 200-year. But Dr. Clark would deal with history in terms of thousands of years of episodes. Yes. And so when you're mentioning the black Hebrews attached to Ethiopia. You're talking about Ethiopia attached to the Sudan and the Sudan a part of Nubia. So but you're talking about here you're talking about uh African African uh Africans that took on Judaism, right? That's what you're talking about? Yes, we're talking about black folk who took on the ancient religions that we're African. See, most people don't understand because we're told that we can, that we contributed nothing, that we can only think of Europeans developing these philosophical and religious systems. They were all developed out of a foundation of indigenous African cultures. 
And then when the African cultures moved into high cultures and became the cultures of Kemet and the cultures of Nubia, the three major religious traditions that we refer to as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all of them emerge out of African spiritual, cultural, philosophical, architectural systems. So when you're talking about an Ark of the Covenant, that's not something that was developed in out of the African Hebrew or the Ashkenazi, the European Jew, that comes directly out of Nile Valley culture that was passed down for thousands of years, at least a 5,000-year period. Before and what book? Was... What, what book? What, what, who, who, who's, who does that? Is that John G. Jackson? Is that Chancellor Williams? Is that Shekhar? All, of them. All yeah. of them. All of them did it. And that's why we've inherited well, a collective legacy from all of these scholars who individually well, went look, back. Uh, you know what? The Hold on for a minute. The I'm beginning of time. And Dr. Diep's work, Shekhar Diep, uh, who was born an African Muslim and who eventually went to Europe, so he mastered that education. He later became a Marxist Leninist. But the moving point of his life was pan-Africanism, that we are African peoples. And so he developed an African socialist perspective. But he was a scientist, well, a physicist. Well, Dr. Dr. J, before you do that, hold on, before you go into that, right? Are you right. listening to the Amara Squad? The call number is 347-857-2055. Man, we're listening to the great uh, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Uh, I, I call him a master historian. Uh, hit one of your keypad if you got any questions, okay? Now, um, Dr. Jeffries, now I want to say a couple of scholars' names, right? Because yes. I know you're going to get into that. And I want you to kind of, uh, 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 what, what, what comes to mind when I mention the scholar's name, right? I want to see what you have to say about that particular person. Because it's right. rare that we'll have a person that has came in contact with so many great scholars. It's rare to have that. And I want everybody to experience what you have experienced of being with us. So let's start off with, uh, let's say, uh, John Jackson. What comes to mind? Who is he? Well, what comes to mind? His name, John G. Jackson. John but G. Jackson. Not a Jackson, but there was John G. Jackson. John G. Mm -hmm. Jackson was the elder of elders. In other words, Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben are our elders, but they had elders. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important ones they had was John G. Jackson. And this brother, if you saw him, you'd say he was a white man. But mm -hmm. he was from the, the light, brights of the Carolinas. He was from South Carolina. And then John G. Jackson didn't have the formal education, but he read. He had a brilliant mind, and he read everything he could get, and he had the ability to develop concepts so he could break down this knowledge. But he did connect with a brother who had a formal education. And so uh, this brother would be a partner or elder of John G. Jackson, and his name was Dr. Willis Huggins. And Dr. Willis Huggins, with John G. Jackson, wrote the introduction to African civilization. They collaborated, and mm -hmm. that was a, a work that was around World War Two. Uh, they in the forties, fifties, they were they had a, a a Harlem History Club, and that Harlem History Club included them as the leaders, and included young people like Dr. Clark, as the young people just getting in on the ground floor on this knowledge. So the Harlem History Club was 
the example of creating a family of learning, not just individuals learning, a family of learning with a process of sharing and passing it down from generation to generation. So Dr. Clark always paid homage to these brothers, and he paid it in such an extent that he helped to republish the works of John Jackson. So John Jackson had a rebirth when the Black Studies Movement emerged in the 60s, and Dr. Clark was the centerpiece of it. Dr. Clark said, let's take these works of John Jackson and have them republished. So you got the introduction to African civilization, which is an expansion of the work that John Jackson developed with Dr. Uh, Willis Huggins. And so in this mix is Dr. Clark coming into this mix at some particular point, someone called Kwame Nkrumah, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, who went to school at Lincoln University. Wait, hold on, Dr. Jeffries. Didn't Dr. John Henry Clark have you hire his elder in your department in black studies? Not, not, not did he have me held. He, <laughs> he demanded, he made a demand the way only he could make it. You didn't, you didn't feel any hurt. This was an honor. And he said he wanted us, when we developed the Black Studies Department in 68 and 69, by 1970, Dr. Clark had said, we need to invite John Jackson to be a visiting professor at City College, which we did. He didn't have the degrees, but he had the publications. And we hired him not just as a visiting professor for one year, we hired him for two years, and we extended on to three years, which is unheard of. And when he finished a three-year visiting professorship in which his work was core to our black studies, thousands of books were sold that dealt with the introduction of African civilization that established the African origin of humanity, the African evolution of society, African cradle of civilization. That was his basic thesis. That was really Huggins' basic thesis. That became Dr. Clark's basic thesis. That was the basic thesis of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, who became the president of Ghana. That was the basic thesis of Shekhant Diop. These brothers were in it in the 40s and 50s. Shekhant Diop got it in, in it in the 50s. All right. Okay. Hold on. Hold, 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 hold. Freeze, freeze, freeze. Let me, hold on. Let me then, slow you down. And when slow you Jackson down. Us, when John hold Jackson us, we sent him to Chicago to be taken up as a family elder with the, another branch of this great explosion of information. That was the Chicago School built around the Comedic Institute and Jacob Carruthers and Brother uh, um, uh, Thompson. They took, and, and, and Dr. Comrade Worrell, they took John Jackson in for the last phase of his life. It's an extraordinary story of the relationship of generation after generation, the interconnection, the love that was shared, the sharing of the knowledge. And because of that, intellectual warfare resulted in intellectual victory for this truth of who and what we are. We're the foundation people of the universe. All knowledge stems from us. High scientific knowledge was our... Mm. And then we... Okay. And to try to dehumanize us, and we're emerging out of that with a, an enormous emancipation and mm. renaissance that's actually taking okay. place. Okay, oh, all right, hold on, hold on, professor, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hands break, doctor, hold on. All right, let's let, let, let me hit you with um, um, Chancellor Williams. Hey, you can throw it all <laughs> in there. That's my man, Chancellor Williams, <laughs> and Doctor so. Clark. The 
Ben and John Hope Franklin and, and Dr. Diep and all of us are Capricorns, and including uh, Carter G. Woodson. All of us are born uh, between December the, uh, the 19th and January the 19th. I come at the end. I'm January the 19th. In the beginning is Carter G. Woodson. In the middle is Dr. Diep, uh, Chancellor Williams, the 23rd, Dr. Diep, the 29th, Dr. Ben, December the 30th, Dr. Clark, January 1st, um, John Hope Franklin, January the 15th. Uh, you can throw in my nephew. The Cap- I got two nephews. One is b- born in October the 4th, uh, uh, sorry, August the 4th, the same date as Obama, but the scholar, the, 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 the brilliant young man, who is the uh, who's written a book, outstanding work, the struggle, uh, bloody Lowndes, the struggle for the vote in Lowndes County. He's born on January the 13th. He's a Capricorn. So what I'm saying is that Chancellor Williams emerges at the same period of time, but in a different location. You had uh, Dr. W. E. B. Du Bois uh, doing his work around Philadelphia, and uh, uh, he had. Established, he had done a great work, the Philadelphia Negro. So he had uh, connections heavy with Philadelphia and with Lincoln University. Then you had in Washington, D.C., uh, Professor Leo Hansberry, who in the 30s, 20s and 30s, was talking about the importance of Africa and Ethiopia. And so he was the one that inspired Chancellor Williams, who, because he was at Howard University, and Chancellor Williams got inspired by the work of Leo Hansberry. And he can be considered a person completing the work of Leah Hansberry. But there was one of my partners in the mix of there. He was at Howard University in the history department, and his name is Joseph Harris. And Dr. Clark took him under the wings to complete the work of Leo Hansberry. Chancellor Williams went on his own, and in the 40s and 50s, he said, I'm going to put this thing together. So he began to travel to Africa, visited dozens of African countries, and he followed the pattern of all of these scholars, the great ones. That pattern, again, using the triangle shape of the, of the pyramid to, to process information, African scholars developed a process where you described information and phenomena, psychological, historical, economic, political phenomena. But then you went beyond the description. You went into an analysis of the phenomena, and that's where white scholarship usually draws a line because they say we got to be objective. Of course, they're not objective, they're racist. But our scholars added that dimension of synthesis at the top of this pyramid of power. They had the description, then that led to an analysis, but then you went into prescription. Prescription is coming up with a solution, coming up with a plan. You're not neutral with this knowledge. This knowledge needs to be used to develop people, to develop nations devastated, whole peoples wiped out, genocide that's taking place. So you need a prescription. So all of our generations that I've been relating to over the last hundred years follow that mode. That was the mode of W.E.B. Du Bois. That was the mode of Monroe Trotter. That was the mode of Leo Hansberry. That was the mode of Carter G. Woodson. You not only describe and analyze, but you organize. You organize the Black History uh, Week that becomes Black History Month. You organize uh, a group of scholars into a, an association for the study of Negro life and history. And then that scholars, those scholars spin off a journal 
this process of associations, of journal, of sharing the knowledge has been the great contribution of these scholars, and you need to study their lives. If you do not study the lives of how they went through hell to lay down this knowledge for you, you miss, you say, but one was this and one was that, and this one was a Marxist, and this one was a socialist, and this one was a Negro, and you don't see the collectivity of all of them going through the changes to develop their greatness and then linking it together. By World War II, we came together in 1945. This flow of knowledge from Leo Hansberry to Chancellor Williams, from uh, Huggins to Jackson to Dr. Clark, uh, this knowledge came together to what we called the Pan-African Congress in 1945. The European world had been shattered with World War II, tens of millions of Europeans murdering each other, white-on-white crime, the likes of which had never occurred in human history. Mm. And they were following up from World War I, where tens of millions of them were killing each other. So out of this devastation of European, he had dominated the world by 1900, and then he lost it by two world wars and a depression in between. So this was a chance of collectively the Africans leaving the European world plantation and establishing their world. And so they met, the Europeans met in 1945 to put the UN together in order to restore white supremacy. Africans in 1945, they met in San Francisco. Africans weren't invited there. Even a, a person like Ralph Bunch didn't make it. Ralph Bunch was with these others, with Leo Hansberry and with... Uh, um, Chancellor Williams, but in 1945, October, black people said, we're off of the plantation. Their system has collapsed intellectually, culturally, and politically, economically, and let's plan our world. And so 150 or so African peoples from the West Indies, from Africa, from Europe, met to map out our economic, political, and cultural foundations and we've been operating on that ever since. The Harlem ever history. Uh, uh, let's let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Hold it. 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 Are you killing them? Okay. Leo Hansberry. One of the greatest of our peoples because he didn't have the partners to work with. Leo Hansberry was in the wilderness of Negroness. And Negroness at that point from the turn of the 19th century, black people have said, we need to, white folks dominate. We need to find a way of working with them. And so in the, in the early 1900s, black scholars and trained intellectuals said, we need to create a Sigma Pi Phi, a fraternity of scholars that can, uh, and, and achievement people that can, a talented tent that can work with the white system. And so that, group of people said in order for us to identify with white folks and be a part of the system, we got to leave the African thing over to the side. We know there's something to it, but we're part of the great white world now. And let's carve out. So this is what the boys cut themselves from. This is what Carter G. Woodson said. There's a miseducation of the Negro. And so in 1933, he got started in 1915. By 1933, he's talking about the miseducation of the Negro. And in 1933, in the middle of this miseducation, is Leo Hansberry at Howard. And so Leo Hansberry is fighting with black scholars to say there's more than just the Negroness and finding a niche in the white supremacy. These uh, these uh, scholars are saying 
there is a world that was in existence before the European. There is a culture and civilization that is the foundation culture of the human family, and that is in Africa. So these giants moved singularly and with whoever they could gather to lay the foundation for schools of knowledge. But they had to deal with the Negro schools, and we still have to deal with them because the Negro school does not see the significance of Africanness. They see the significance of finding a niche in the white system. Leo Hansberry said, I'm going to go for Africa. And then by the time he, he hooked up with the Carter G, he hooked up with Carter G. Woodson's uh, organization, he hooked up with the new young people on the block, which would have been to say he was young, because I met him when he was, I knew him when he was 93 or 91. When you hmm. want to say that um, uh, the destruction of black civilization and the, the uh, rebuilding a black civilization, which was the great contribution that was made uh, by our brother. You have to see these people coming together as families, but fighting the, a vanguard uh, against whiteness and against Negroness. And so, All right, hold on, stop, freeze it right there, freeze it right there. All right, um, there's two more scholars I want to mention, but what I want to do is I want to take a caller. And then I want to get back. Uh, one, and one second, um, before you take the call, I want everybody to know that Dr. Jeffrey says a GoFundMe account. It is uh, GoFundMe.com slash Leonard Jeffries, J-E-F-F-R-I-E-S. So we got to support. He only got $1,001 in his GoFundMe account, and we've been uh, trying to raise money for the last uh, uh, month and a half, and it's only $1,000. Listen, if you love the work that Dr. Jeffries is doing, understanding that he is uh, one of our greatest elders, um, support the brother because he has to preserve his uh, research material, and um, he has to preserve it. Uh, it's our legacy, but we have to pay hey, for Reg our legacy. Yeah, hey, brother Reg Not to mention yeah. he earned it. And when you listen to the Amara Squad, you, you're listening yeah. to Leonard Jeffries. I mean, it's just that simple. It's not hard to figure out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not hard to figure out. We stand on no, the shoulders of giants. So, 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 yeah, they're gonna take care of the great teacher. Of course, they would. If you support okay. the Amaral squad, then you would have to support uh, the great Doctor Jeffries. Like, like, you know, what I mean, this is what we're doing, and and we're gonna regularly have him come through, and we're gonna make sure you take care of him, right? Because he took care of us. So, if you really enjoyed the Amaral squad and wonder why we do the way we do it. And why we stay stay on top of the game is because we stand on the shoulders of giants. It's not hard. So now you know. And All this right? part now of the history, you know. the interaction of these scholars, their works and their life is what we have to tell. We can't just say, well, this is Chancellor Williams. You have to show that Chancellor Williams stands on the shoulders of Leo Hansberry. And then you That's have right. to see that Chancellor Williams connected with others. He, by himself, with limited money, went and, and traveled around Africa. And then he said, wow. He said, "There's African civilization has been destructed, uh, dis, uh, destroyed, but, and this has gone on for thousands of years, however, but the rudiments of rebuilding and the rebirth of African civilization are there. So he did not just describe the destruction and analyze it. He came up with a plan. We have to have a new African consciousness of nation, a new African consciousness of self, the new African consciousness of economics. So 
to have the Chancellor Williams emerge in the 40s and 50s, to have John Jackson emerge in the 40s and 50s, to have the linkpin of it all being Dr. John Henry Clark, uh, by the 60s and 70s, myself, Dr. Ronald Walters, Dr. James Turner, Dr. Shashi McIntyre, Dr. Francis Chris Welding, Dr. Pat Newton, Dr. Wade Nobles, Dr. Niam Akbar, all of us have come together on the tap of this family, and we extended the family so that when we had our great conference in 1981 at City College, the National uh, Council for Black Studies asked me to take uh, to, to, because the people in Chicago couldn't handle it that year, uh, they passed it on to us. I said, I got to contact Professor Small and others to see whether we could do it. And I told them, yes, we can do it. And so at that conference, we had Dr. Chancellor Williams sitting next to Dr. Uh, Andrew Clark, sitting next to John Jackson. And so to have us young Turks who have developed these black studies programs linking up not just a degree program, we were linking up to the community, and not just our community in America, but we were linking up to the West Indies. We were linking up to Brazil. We were linking up to Africa. By the time we set up black studies in 1969, I had already been to Africa a dozen times, starting in 1961. My wife had started it off in 1960. So we had went every year two or three times in the 60s. So when black studies emerged, we were ready to go in with our full flush. We didn't have to wait mm. for some uh, ace of spades to come up. We had the full flush. And we, mm. we, we started building these programs. Mm. So that's something uh, that will get the type of support to link up the legacy of Jacob Carruthers, the legacy of well, we, well, you know what, you know what though, um, um, Dr. Jeffries. I mean, now they know though, and it's good, and this is an excellent platform um, for the young brothers and sisters to really link up with you. Uh, the, the difference between the way y'all did it and the way we do it, we have a platform that you did not have. That's called Blog Talk Radio, and that's called YouTube. I mean, I could imagine if y'all could have had that, but y'all, but y'all didn't. But your works are on there, and so we're going to get you up on a YouTube, and we're going to make sure everybody supports that too. And so, you know what I mean? It's just that time. So let me get this one call in there real quick. Let me okay. take this first call that you got. I'm, you, you're allowed to ask one question. One, 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 your line is open. I'm a raw squad up. What is all that? That was crazy.
So I was just calling in to um, express my love for you, brother, and I enjoy your words. Well, I, I, in other words, I just this is just a little teaser. You have not really had a chance to get Dr. Jeffries in his serious analysis, um, and then one of our great scholars, a partner of mine, a real partner, Dr. Wade Nobles, has just produced a work on the Haitian Revolution in which he's dealing with the mind of how the mind process develops around the main actors of the Haitian Revolution. And this is a breakthrough in terms of analyzing our people and how our leadership emerges. I was lucky to do a forward to that. Brother Smalls did an afterward, but the real work was done by a brother who brought to the table not historical skills, not political science skills, are not economic skills. He brought the psychological skills. He's a, a great psychologist, but concerned with the family. He comes out of various schools of, of, of learning and process. He had his Nation of Islam experience. He's been hooked up into Nile. He's been in every type of culture, the Yoruba culture, etc. the Akan. He's a chief in Ghana. And he still has his research institute out in the Bay Area uh, for the advanced study of family life and black family life and history. So this brother has done all of these things, and including the melanin. He was part of the melanin scholars. And so we've got to figure out how do we make sure that this knowledge put in the hands of our people to empower them instead of having it being a part of a conflict and competition and confusion so that mm. uh, I've been blessed. And you were talking people. about Dr. Wade Nobles, right? Dr. Wade Nobles is... Uh, our brother on the West Coast, he was, he has been one of the leaders of the black psychologists. His partner uh, is uh, Dr. Naim Akbar. They have led uh, trips to Africa uh, on a regular basis. He's been with the various associations that we've established, one of our greatest brothers. He has a partner, Vera Knowledge, who got a Ph.D. from the Ph.D. program that Malefi and Nafi developed out of Philadelphia. They move as a team. He is a student of Dr. Nate Hare, who was at Howard setting up the first Black Studies program of substance, and then he went out to the West Coast to develop uh, the degree program out there. That's Dr. Nathan Hare, who is the elder of Wade Nobles, who's my senior uh, partner, and uh, he had the, uh, met a beautiful sister, Dr. Nathan, uh, Julia Hare. So Dr. Nathan Hare and Julia Hare are a a dual a couple struggling for this knowledge in the psychological, sociological realm. Dr. Wade Nobles and Vera Nobles are a couple uh, in the psychological realm. Dr. Rosalind Jeffries and Len Jeffries are a 50-plus-year-old couple dealing with, in other words, we've been married 50 years dealing with this. We were dealing with it 10 years before we got married. Julia Hare and Nathan Hare, the same thing. So, you have a chance not only to look at the individual scholars, but look at people who have been moving as family, as couple, and extending this reach out with this knowledge. This is the great African renaissance that we are part of that's hard for us to see because we're in the belly of the beast. But when Garvey was moving in the 1920s, he was saying, where are our leaders? Where are our kings? Where are our nation? Now we don't have that problem. We got too many nations because of the explosion after 1945 
and the liberation movements. Now we've got 55 nations in one association called the African Union. And, and then we've got more than a dozen nations in the Caribbean, another dozen in Central and South America. So we're talking about nations galore. How do we take all of this nationhood and put it into a functional regional relationship? A, a, a United States of West Africa, United States of East Africa, United States of Southern Africa, United States of Central Africa, linked to North Africa, and then linked to its diaspora, which is us, those of us out of Africa. So there is this process in place of trying to link up the regions of Africa with the Africans out of Africa because we have become so skilled and so valuable, but our skill and value is being used into the white system when there is an African system, an Asian system immersion on the horizon that we need to plan for over the next 50 years. So that's what this is all about. The personal conflicts that one may have, the disagreements that one may have is a waste of time. The great challenge is how do you take this emergence of 55 African nations on the continent? How do you fit it with the thousands of African cultural nations, ethnic nations that are a part of the mix? How do you mix it with the uh, Dr. Clark said, we need to do a book on the mulatto, the role of the mulatto. How do you relate this enormous explosion of information to the various people who have, like Obama, a, a white mother and a African father? How do you allow them to make the choice of which way they want to go? Or how do you allow them to synthesize it? I saw Obama last week like I never saw Obama. I knew he wasn't elected to be the president of black America. I knew he wasn't elected to relate black America to Africa. I knew he was elected as a black face to help save the white nation that was collapsing. And he's played that role. But now that he has had a foot out of the door, he went to Kenya, the news can't put what his relationship was for two or three hours talking to the students and the young leaders of Kenya. The news can't put when he went to Ethiopia talking to the hundreds of leaders of the new African nations in Ethiopia. The regular news is sound bites. You have to go get his actual presentation, which is on YouTube. My wife and I looked at it. We couldn't believe it. We stayed up all night. We couldn't turn off the TV to see him relate mm -hmm. to the African world as an African and the African part of his world. And so... You can't just dismiss him. The man was processed and got good education to serve the white world, and he's done a good job. But he knows what part of the world is his real strength, and that's the African. And so mm. no matter what right. got, we Hold used to play a little. I grew up in North Hold New Jersey. On. If you're white, you're right. If you're brown, you're brown. Hold on for a minute, um, Dr. J. One second, one second. Um, you got to get the call number is 347 2055, you got a minute to call in to finish in the rest of the show. We got about six, seven, eight. We got about eight people with their hand raised, Dr. J. We got to get, I just want to get in there and they, the people, they support you. You know what I'm saying? They making donations and they just want to talk to you. Okay, you got one. 60 seconds. You got one question. 803, your line is open. I'm a raw squad up. Peace and black power, everybody. First of all, okay. brother, I appreciate you taking my call. 
And uh, Brother Reggie, I'm going to give you that honorary doctorate tonight and call you Dr. Reggie. Appreciate what you do. Uh, Dr. Jeffries, can you hear me? I can. And uh, before we you you and I talk, uh, Ank and Reggie are going to have to decide on giving some of your my numbers so you don't have to go through no uh, African shield. You can come right to the source. And I'm, on, I'm retired. <laughs> and that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. No, Dr. J, we got to protect you. <laughs> All of these dudes ain't friends. There's a lot of Negroes out here. You have, when you've had 80 years like I have and 60 years in the belly of the beast and in the heart of the struggle, you ain't, you, you ain't ready for no security. Uh, Dr. J, who is your security, Dr. J? So let 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 let, let me decide these things. And um, so in the old days, Dr. J, I know you want to walk two steps ahead of us, but trust me, these Negroes, some of these Negroes, is out the out the uh, out the meat rack. But anyway, go, go ahead. Brother Reggie Get that was question. the head of security and the Sons of Africa, and we have to give him acknowledgement. He not only protected me, Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, mm -hmm. Professor Smalls. Mm -hmm. He went with us to mm -hmm. Africa. He took 140-something people. He was in charge of 140-something people going to the Nile Valley on a pilgrimage, and they had to go to Georgia, uh, Jordan, where they had the submachine guns and things out, and he brought them safely into the Nile Valley. So the brother is, has several doctorates in terms of being that foundation upon which we can extend the African baton and make sure that it's in sound hands. So I give him his kudos. He's my son in the real sense, a son that I never had, and a son that, that many sons like him that I do have. And so those are the people I want to touch before I get out of here. So I don't want, uh, you know, even if anybody comes to take me out, it ain't going to do no good. I'll be stronger in the ancestral realm than I am here trying to handle this physical mm. body. Wow. But Come on, Batal, ask that question. Get that question. Okay, Robin Jeffries, um, I'm going to make up a question towards the end, but I want to say first. Yes. No, man, you can't burn the time. Come on, get that question. I'm not burning up the time. I got to get this in. Robin Jeffries. No, you yes. can't be I want to say I, Everybody but I'm going to say we. <laughs> I got to give him his kudos while he's still alive, even his flowers while he's still alive. From the top of my heart to the, to the center of my mind, I consider you the greatest living ancestor that we have right now today. I love Dr. Smalls. Um, I'm not sure if Charles Finch is still around. Yes, um, some of the other greats. But, but, but yeah. you, I've, I've studied some of your works, the, the synthesis of antithesis. Um, I, I want to say I appreciate you, I love you, and uh, may many blessings and love and peace follow you for the rest of your days. And I guess I'll, I'll go along with what Brother Ankh was asking about different names. What would you say about Schaumburg? No, no, stop, man. You're doing too much. No, what well, we can say, oh, no, Schaumburg is a foundation, a foundation oh, pillar. Man. And so we, we can, yes. We got to know the role of Schomburg because he's yeah, the one that I know we do. looked for the missing pages of history. And Dr. Clark not only looked for the missing pages, of, he, he, he understood that that meant the whole of history. So Dr. Clark pushed us into understanding the European history as well as understanding the African history, and it was Schomburg who burned that into his consciousness. Go ahead. Mm. All right. Schomburg, he... hold it, hold it. Dr. Clark followed Schomburg in reality. And in, in Legacy, Schomburg left us a few thousand books that became the Schomburg Collection. 
Dr. And it is one of the greatest that there is. Dr. Clark personally replicated, copied this. And he was a black Puerto Rican like Dr. Ben. So that inspired Dr. Ben. Okay, and Dr. Ben was inspired by him, but Dr. Clark took his personal collection of 25,000 books and has deposited in the Black Belt of America at in the complex of Morehouse, Spelman, uh, Morris Brown, Clark Atlanta, the ITC Theological Center. Dr. Clark has a special collection of the greatest collection of books any single black man without degrees and whatnot has ever given, and you could just you can go there and study it. Twenty-five thousand mm. books from this man who was a sharecropper's son. It was against the law to teach him to read and write, but the three deities of his life cleared the way for him. His grandmother, his mother, and his fifth-grade school teacher, Evelina Taylor, saw the genius in this young black man, and he did not go to the schools of high degrees like myself, my wife, Yale, and Columbia, and other people at Harvard and, and Stanford. This is a self-taught genius who disciplined himself so that he is teaching the great PhDs from the greatest institution. There is nobody like him. And then he didn't stand alone. He partnered with Dr. Ben in the greatest brotherhood in the history of scholarship. And it's not just Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark. Dr. Diep developed the same type of relationship with his mentor, who was Aliun Diop, who developed the greatest black distribution of books and publication house, Presidents African in Paris. And then they centered their, passed the baton down to a brother who, who is an extraordinary friend of ours. And his name is Theophilo Banga, a linguist who speaks and understands Greek and all the rest of it, German. And he not only developed centers of education in Africa. He came to Philadelphia to stand with Malefi Asante and give great legitimacy to that black studies program. And then when he went back to establish something in his country, and then after a few years, uh, the, the difficulties there chased him out. He had to run through the forest. He had to run through the forest miles and miles to escape. And luckily, one of the students from Philadelphia, Troy, Troy Allen, had gone to Brazzaville in the Congo to be with Theophil, to be with Theophil Banga to finish his dissertation, and when they were in Philadelphia together, they used to jog for eight to ten miles in the morning before they went into the teaching situation. So Troy got Theophil Banga running again, and because he was able to run again, he was able to get his family out, some of his materials out, and then he escaped on foot, running through the rainforest. And then got mm. to America, and we said, brother, your work ain't finished. Wade Nobles and them are tired of handling the administration at San Francisco State. We'll send you out to San Francisco State. So he moved across the country and went to San Francisco State and was there just until a few years ago when he went back into the Congo because I challenged him in Paris at one of our great conferences. I challenged him, and I challenged the brother, Philippe, uh, Jean-Philippe, who is from Guadeloupe. And I said, you guys have mastered the Nile Valley and all the greatness of the Nile, but what is this going to do with the nation building we need to do today and in the future? You need to take that knowledge, Jean-Philippe, and go into the Caribbean and, and help them move it into nation building. Uh, Theophel, you need to go back to the Congo 
and put that knowledge of the past into how we deal with the chaos of the present and how we develop a meaning for future. You need to study the mineral resources, the water resources, and come up with a solution. So he did go back. This is a three-hour presentation I made in French. He did go back over the last few years to set up a pan-African university in the heart of darkness, so-called, in the heart of the Congo. Theofelo Banga has been setting up a, uni a Pan-African university with all the experience he had in Paris, in Senegal, with Chekata Diop, in America with us, and, and now he's bringing it back to the motherland. This story I is freeze. not... Freeze. This story... Oh. Freeze. Yeah, 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 keep him going. Let's get to the next caller. Hey, Vital, man, thanks, brother. Um, make sure you go check that GoFundMe out, brother. Black African Power. 313. Line is open. I'm Ross Squad up. Peace, peace. Uh, got a question for the elder, uh, Dr. Little Jeffries. Appreciate you coming on the line, sir. Um, my only question is, uh, do you think that the people whom us in particular here in America, who we descend from, do you think that they got dominated by white people because they didn't understand their own culture or the fact that they didn't understand white culture no it was European culture and that's a good question in fact we need to have a special session just on that so you've opened mm. up uh, something that's very important um, we were sucked in to a global system and so it's not black people being enslaved white folks sat down and tried to figure out how can we produce a system that would help us get out of our hole and help us dominate the world. And so slavery wasn't something that was a happenstance. It was planned in the drawing rooms, in, in the special uh, uh, meetings of white folks who said, how can we dominate uh, um, our world? And they realized that the most important domination of anything in the world is black people. They come from the richest continent, they have the richest inheritance. And so it, it wasn't as if the Europeans didn't know who we were. Uh, they knew. They, they We gave them their golden ages. Golden age after golden age. That's what I was just getting to. How did they know? Because the ancient Greeks told them. The ancient Greeks said, this knowledge comes from Africans. We've just taken it and we've synthesized a part of it. And we've created great culture and civilization. They said that our learning people didn't go north to, to the coast of Europe. They didn't go. They went south into the Nile Valley. And they said, so the part of the knowledge that we do not see, Dr. Asa Higgins made sure that we did following Shekhanta Diop, is that when you talk about the Nile Valley, you're talking about 10,000 years of development. High culture and civilization maybe 5,000 years ago. And so you're talking about golden ages where Africans put together economics, politics, and culture and understood the flow of the universe, and they tried to build their lives around that. So the, the European and their, the higher Europeans understood where this came from. The same thing with Christianity. We, there's no such thing in the higher European uh, uh, understanding of uh, uh, white Christianity. Peter in, the, in, the, in Rome is black. Uh, the, the images of Jesus in uh, the black Madonnas all over the Catholic world. 
including the one that's in Poland, is the black baton of Chestakova. And Jesus, the baby, is there with an afro. So we, we have to understand that knowledge has been hidden from us. And so the Europeans put together their system because they were trying to come out of the golden of, of the devastation of the golden age of other people. The Muslims created the golden age. The Europeans had a 500-year war with them. And that was from 14... Uh, that was from uh, 1096 with the first uh, crusade struggle up until 1492. And so the Europeans said, how can we tap into the wealth and we need to tap into it in Africa? And so they began to plan schemes, plot. They used the gun. They had gunpowder from the Chinese, and they used it to produce weaponry. They used alcohol uh, as part of their trick to suck Africans into fighting each other. and then They raped our women. They, they, the process of destruction that the European waged, no people under ordinary circumstances should be still standing and, through, and, and thriving and moving. So they threw everything they could at us, a dehumanization, a dehumanization process that has never been in the history of the world. They created mulatto classes, mulatto classes to sell other black folks who are light-skinned through a mulatto system of rape begins to uh, super-exploitate darker people. So you have these families of these mulattoes connected, acting in the interest of white folks, and eventually they themselves will be enslaved. It's a complicated, devastating. It is. It is. Let me get this next caller, Reggie. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Dr. J. One second. Right. Let me get the next call in there real quick. Um, go ahead, go ahead, And I was about to say that Dr. Wade Nobles helps us with this issue go because ahead. he says African people everywhere suffer greatly from a shattered consciousness and a fractured identity. And so mm. Africans have systems have been devastated and their fractured consciousness and shattered identities, which makes them vulnerable when a predator comes mm. into their midst. Mm. That's a good point right there. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Excellent point right there. Hey, look, check this out. We got that GoFundMe, right? Um, it's important to continue to deal with our scholars whose shoulders we stand on. Go to GoFundMe.com slash forward slash Leonard Jeffries. And I know a lot of y'all didn't even know about it, but now y'all know, right? And, and, and really, you know what I mean? I'll be making a monthly contribution to it. From the Amaral Squad, so I suggested you the same. All right, this is what we do around here. We take care of those who have taken care of us. Very easy, and it's not hard. If you go to McDonald's, right, before you spend that money with the cracker, right, look out for your brother. Six one five line is open. Go ahead. Go ahead. And Sorry, our people need the money that we have. We use it for the struggle. I spent thousands of dollars last week to go to Atlanta for. Two days, and I'll be spending thousands of dollars to go to Atlanta tomorrow to try to yep, solve some do. of the problems we have. You do. And I'll definitely see you when you get in town. Yeah, you, of course you don't get. Of course all the money you, you Dr. J, come on, man. We already know. It's time for us to foot some of the burden. How about that? 615, your line is open. Yeah, uh, yeah, peace to uh, Dr. Jeffries. Yes, sir. Uh, I, have, I have a quick question about um, the Abrahamic faiths and 
um, there's the group of people in Africa that they call the Ethiopian Jews or the Falasha and other groups throughout Africa. <clears throat> now, um, some say that they took on these customs of other people. And, you know, there's been a lot of controversy around whether this, this, these group of people are Africans. They say that they, that they are the original people. And so you have uh, this argument back and forth about the Abrahamic faith and Jews and whether this is African. I wanted to know, in your opinion, are these the original people? Are what we call Jews, are they original black Africans? And on top of that, is it African to believe in what we call a higher power or a God of creation? Three questions now, Max. We ask three questions. You only get one, yo. You been so that was yo. that was the same question. All right, it was not. You doubled up. Matter of fact, go to that GoFundMe too, that black man. That's right. We, uh, question. For the question like that, we're going to make sure you all keep a check and make sure he puts in some heavy donations. He's going to At the last part of the program, first of all, Jews, that has nothing to do with Africa. You hear what I said? Mm-hmm. Jews has to do with people in Europe who got involved in what you're calling the, the uh, uh, Abraham faith, okay? Now... People, when they get a hold of something, they want to sanctify it. They want to make it holy. Dr. Ben called these things, what do he call it, Reggie? When you take your culture and you deify it, he calls these traditions deifying a culture. And yeah. people have the right to do that. And so yeah. once you get a hold of information and knowledge and you want to make it your own, you deify it, and then you say that it comes from an unknown divine source. And then you say that, when you go deep into it, that we are the first, and we are the beginning. So you can go to Ethiopia. I went there at the opening of the new center that the Chinese helped to build for the African nations, for the African Union. And this... African woman, this queen, was traveling around the world for four years. Everybody in the world wanted to see her bones. These are dry bones, but they went everywhere. After four years, they brought them back to Ethiopia, and they were there on exhibit at the new multi-billion dollar center for the leaders of the African world, a couple of thousand of them that came, including myself and my wife. Well, but Dr. J, tell them that you uh, met Haile Selassie. Haile Selassie. Don't confuse it now. I'm trying to deal with the bones that are thousands of years old that have been recognized by scientists around the world as part of early humanity. And so they call them Lucy. Lucy ain't had nothing to do with that. Lucy comes from a song from the Beatles. But their Dan Kanesh is this made, dry bones made her move around the great centers of the world and then was brought home to welcoming us in the highlands of Ethiopia in Addis Ababa. And we give kudos to Dan Kanesh. 
Marvelous. And, uh, the word means you mean you marvelous. Let me see. Let me get the word. Hold on. I'll get you the exact meaning of the name. So well, people, no, I want the reason. The Ray reason Marvel, why Dr. Yeah, J. I, I, yeah, go ahead, Reggie. The only reason I added uh, Haile Selassie is because he uh, he is the uh, point of reference of the Africans, saying that he descended from uh, 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 ancient. Uh, ancient black Hebrews that may have converted or or uh, been a part of the um, uh, Hebraic Brother faith. Reggie, yes. Brother Reggie, his Y chromosome was T. Hattie Selassie descended from Syrians, Aramaic and Hattie's cousins. He was he was he was predominantly a Romo indigenous to Africa Dose. maternally. I'm Dose. sorry, I'm Dose. sorry. Dose. Dose. Yo, are you kidding me? Is that how you come uh, in and introduce yourself to the girl? I didn't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, I, 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 I didn't even catch it, man. I didn't even Dr. catch Jeffrey, it. This is a member of the Amaral squad. He didn't even speak coming in. Uh, go, go ahead, brother. Now, he's got to learn the first level of respect, so we're going to ban him for today. He can come on the next time I come on. You know, you got to learn the first level of respect. I'm sorry, Dr. Jeffrey. I didn't, I didn't mean that. Actually, I thought I was on mute still. I'm you sorry about that. No, you wanted just, to challenge him. You come in with your head bowed, and you ask respectfully, is it your time to speak? And then, I, I, I apologize for that, and I'm going to be quiet the whole show. I apologize. You, you had some important things to say, and it's valuable, but it should be part of a, a, a larger process. And so we can get rid of a lot of the confusion. You know, people want to justify their action, their role. And so they take on the mantle of other folks. That's what the Europeans did. They want to take on the mantle of the Africans to say that they were the beginning. They weren't the beginning. They come out of the African gene pool, if anything. And so that's being discussed now scientifically uh, around the world because they're now talking about uh, the not the, the main thrust of the human family, but they're talking about the Neanderthals. So there's a big discussion going on. So you brought up a serious subject, but it's the wrong time, brother. I haven't even had anything to eat. I had my sandwich ready to eat it, but I said, no, I'm going to pay respect to Brother Mark and Brother Reggie. I, I, got, I didn't even get any juice. I got a glass of water. The water is gone. I got a little sip in here. He <laughs> came with the super high sign. Doctor J is putting up the black sign, um, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure out a time to end this and continue it another time. Uh, yeah. But but okay. it's it's been great and it's needed, and people need to bring up their. See, people get a piece of the Africans have a parable, because the elephant is the biggest thing in Africa, uh, the giraffe is the tallest. But Africans have a parable of the five blind Africans, and one of them had the trunk. And he said, this thing is kind of moving here, uh, but trying to describe what he had a hold of. And then another one had the big leg with the big foot and whatnot. He said, well, goodness, this is like a tree trunk. And somebody else had the tail. I said, well, I can't control this thing. Well, if each of them stood on what they had and they had some knowledge, it wasn't enough. They were all confused because they had not synthesized it and had not stepped back and had not done the real study to say what this thing is. So we're like the five blind Africans. 
Someone got this thing on the Hebrews. Someone got this thing on the Moors. Someone got this thing on science. Someone got this thing on outer space. And we're ready to go to war over this. This this is the greatest thing that has happened to black people, this great awakening. And we've got to figure out how to use it when we come at our different perspectives and how to see it work for us. But if mm. you have a shattered consciousness and a fractured identity, you're going to be at each other's throat. And you're going to say, well, I've got this and this I got from that source. Well, let's question the source. Let's look at it. Dr. Clark said, go to the source. He told us to read white sources. We were saying, wait a minute. But I knew that what he was talking about because I had been in the white school system. White folks understand the real history. Count Farmley said, uh, these ruins that we look at, there go people that we enslaved. This is a French scientist. When the French Napoleon wanted to make his move on the world, and he took his army to take Egypt. He did not only take an army and a navy, he took 150 of the top minds and brains and professors and artists mm. in France. You don't go to fight no war in Africa and take artists and professors and scientists. Mm. But if you know mm -hmm. that that's the amount of knowledge and you need an army to conquer it, but you need the scholars to record it. And the greatest thing that happened to Napoleon was to go to Egypt and see all of that that he saw. And then when he came back, he said, I'm going to build me an empire. And he went into France and he took over the French Revolution. But he made a mistake. He said, we need to enslave the Africans. And so he got rid of the prohibition against slavery and he put in he restored slavery, and then he made a bigger mistake. I'm going to take these Negroes, and I'm going to put them in slavery again. They try to break out of, of the slave plantation in Haiti. I'm going to send the biggest army ever to cross, and Navy ever to cross the Atlantic Ocean to put them in check. And they got their ass beat. The people <laughs> in the French, they beat the English, they beat the Spanish, they beat the biggest army ever brought at that time across the Atlantic Ocean, and that blocked Napoleon's dream of an empire in the New World. He had learned the, the greatness of the Nile, and he wanted to create uh, himself as the great empire of the world, but he met black folks who had knowledge, determination, who had skills, who were dealing with their spirituality, and they kicked his ass. Now, that's the story of the Haitian Revolution. I ain't going to tell you, but I'll tell you Wade Nobles put it together. He put it together. Professor Scott. And they did it, they did it, Dr. J, drinking pigs, the black pig's blood. Pig blood. Right? Yeah. In a covenant, right, of that, Africans. They developed a spiritual covenant, a blood covenant, and it didn't take place overnight. It began in 1781 with the, uh, from the island of Jamaica, came uh, uh, Obi-Man, uh, Bokman, and then the female has to be a part of struggle, and so Fatima uh, became in the process, and then later it passes down to Toussaint, and eventually to Desalin, who said, you got to kill him. you got to kill him. That's the only way to stop him. So he destroyed a 1,000 plantations and cut off the heads of a thousand, uh, 1,300 plantation owners, and the French have never forgiven them and never forgiven Haiti for that act of, 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 of heroic uh, uh, struggle. And then he, he, Wade takes it all the way to the mulatto, uh, to Henri Christophe, 
who built the citadel, one of the greatest structures ever built by any man in the world, uh, sitting on top of the world. And then the, the mulatto population, Pétion, uh, got control of the government, and then they made the agreements to pay all of this reparations, indemnities to the French. Oh, that's that crazy. Haiti from ever developing. So we got to look at this whole history. It's there for you to look at. Don't come uh, I'm going to get um, Patrick DeLeases on the show because uh, he also does a good job on Haiti. But, Dr. J, you can throw up the black flag anytime. Tell Aunt how much yeah. time you got. No, he brought you, yeah. Well, I got a lot of time now because while we talk in this mess, I'm looking at the 70s. I'm looking at a, ooh, goodness, look at him. Stevie Wonder, talking about superstitions, and he got his sideburns. I'm looking at Marvin Gaye, you know, what's going on? I'm looking at, hey, our sisters, they got their buddies covered up so you can imagine what's under those robes and under those wigs. <laughs> hey, so while you're talking, I'm, uh, I'm looking. I got the sound down. But I'm looking at, at that history that I lived. I don't. As long as you don't say heaven is between a black woman's legs, like Dr. Ben, <laughs> Dr. J, I'm watching you. If you're talking philosophically about the goddess Nut, who is over the great tombs of the Africans, there are stars across the sky and the ceilings, and then stretched across the sky is the goddess Nut, because she represents the, the reproduction. And Goddess Nut swallows the sun as it sets in the evening and through the 12 hours of the night until the morning she births the sun. So that heaven that Dr. Ben was talking about philosophically refers to a deep concept that the Africans developed of the complementarity between the male and the female principle. And the European to this day has not mastered that. And he's kept his woman in check. And so... He's never been able uh, to... What's your next question? Come on, let's get the questions out so Dr. Right. Jeffrey can get to it. It's 
I receive or those that are on that path uh, to, you know, find that, that truth inside our culture, uh, lost and stolen culture, why is it that we, we, we um, I guess, go against so much, even from those quote-unquote conscious brothers and sisters? Well, that's a complicated question. It's a good one, and it's one we have to deal with. First of all, you've got to deal with certain concepts. I, I have this thing which I call caps. When you go to the top of the pyramid to deal with the knowledge, um, you deal with concepts, analysis, processes, and systems. And so what you're raising is dealing with that. Ego starvation is, is a devastation for our people. We've been kept so long out of the flow of knowledge, so long in, in without a real self-esteem, so long in worshiping other people that it's hard for us to acknowledge and move uh, with humility and knowing that there's more knowledge beyond the knowledge that you have. So we will get the knowledge and we will beat our people down. I was talking to this brother who loved Dr. Ben, and he was at Dr. Ben's side. He had come out of prison. Dr. Ben's knowledge had transformed him into a full human. And he, he saw me for the first time. He said, I know you, Dr. Jeffrey, through the studies, through the books, through the tapes. And so we immediately connected. And then when we talked, uh, he told me he was taking this knowledge and going down. He's from West Virginia, and he was going to take it down to West Virginia. I said, what are you going to do with it? To beat up on my father. He's a preacher. I said, you're going to do what? You're going to get all <laughs> down to West Virginia to beat up on your father? And, and, and so I told him, brother, I, as an elder, I would advise you not to do that. Go down, <laughs> show them some love, and, and see what happens. And I'll be damned if he did not. I saw him again. I said, brother, what happened in, in West Virginia? He said, Dr. J, you were right. As soon as I showed my people love, they didn't care what I believed. They didn't care. They just wanted to love me. And I'm glad I didn't go out down there with weapons to destroy, to knock them down. See, that's what it is. The white man has taught us how to be on this offensive posture because he has a sense of inferiority vis-a-vis people of color. The key is love. When you see the images of the Africans, it's love. It's it's loving life, loving human life, loving life in the in the plants, loving life in the water. It, Absolutely. It, and so we got to develop another concept. When you see these uh, brothers and sisters going at each other, that's why Malcolm needs to be understood. Malcolm had this love. That's why he gave his life. King had love. That's the the connection between them. You know, King had reached the point where he was. He had gone to the mountaintop, and he said, oh, shit, I see what they got in here. These crackers were saying that we got, and that's why they said, I'm going. His people said, you can't go down to Washington. You're going to take poor people, including white people and Native Americans. You're going to put demands on this society. He said, yes. And many of his friends and associates walked away from him. But he wanted to die for something important, and he didn't want to die for no dream. He wanted to die for the real deal, pulling people together to challenge people who have abused power, who have abused wealth, who have abused the development of the mind. So when he went to the mountaintop, he, say, he said, I may not get there with you, but you're going to get there. This explosion of knowledge is going to eventually get to more and more people. Malcolm had the same thing. He went, he was a warrior for Islam, and then he went to Mecca. 
And then he saw a larger thing, and then he traveled around Africa. And then he said, oh, my God. And when he came back, he said, wait a minute. The Islam has made a great contribution. Even Christianity, right, Christianity has made a contribution, right, Judaism. But he said there's another foundation piece. So he told us, put your religious traditions in the closet. They ain't beating on us because you're a Catholic or Jew or a Muslim. They're beating on us because we're the original people. And mm. with the understanding of the original people establishing some of the, the understanding of love of nature and the complementarity of the male and female principle, and that you're not warrior is necessary, but you can't build with war. War destroys, and then you've got to have the builders. And you build with love. You build because you want to link up to the great order of the universe. You want to link up with the mystery of life, which people call God or Allah or this or that, or, or Jehovah, Yahweh. So because we don't understand the great mysteries of the universe, we've gone into a posture, well, I got my little piece of it, piece of it, that's the original piece, everything comes out of it. I doubt it, but they say everything comes out of it. I doubt it that there was a snake in a garden talking some shit. I doubt it. I hate to walk on the <laughs> take care of our elders because our African people is not a people without their elders. And so we there's a certain way you treat your elders and now he's on this platform and it is what it is. And so, you know, extend And a blessings. people who do not respect their history can't go very far. Mm. And a people who are in it for a sprint, they're not going to be the long-distance runners. We need the long-distance runners just to mm. save what I have. The Alex Haley archives, the Diop work, the Zimbabwe work, uh, just to save the, the studies that I did on the curriculum of inclusion, I paid thousands of dollars for storage. I got 100 mm -hmm. books in storage on 150-something street that mm -hmm. I've got to, you know, pay for this 40 years, 
50 years of the most phenomenal historical development, interacting with all of these brothers and sisters and these folks all over the globe. So uh, I'm asking for help in a real way. It's not to put right. no shoes on. I got my pair of shoes. I'm happy. I'm, t- I'm going to wear them till I wear them out. I got uh, my clothes. I got African clothes. That don't cost me. Dr. Jeffrey, you don't have some suits? Yes, I got some suits, but I don't be wearing those suits unless it's part of a uniform to go make a statement. I wear African robe. And and why mm. do I do it? Because I've been made seriously linked up to Africa. Y'all call me Absolutely. Dr. Africans call me in Ghana, Nana Kwekujua. I've been made a, a, a chief oh, among Shanti that- people. Dr. J, what's your shoe size? Because Aunt got a pair, uh, a fancy pair of uh, uh, sneakers, basketball sneakers for you. Uh, what's your shoe size? You're going to need uh, them. Well, uh, t- 10. 10. All right. 10, so you'll need a nine and a half. And, and those shoes is what our uh, shoe company, Dr. J, we decided to. Um, I heard the nine, great John Clark good said. If it's a wide. Nine and a half is good if it's wide, I guess. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. I, I heard John Henry Clark said, if you if you use it, you need to make it. And so we got some shoes. We got some tennis shoes. Uh, well, that's, and that's what we're doing. And we want to make sure, right, we're going to definitely uh, donate $5 off for every sneaker sale. We're going to go ahead and send that to you so you don't got to worry about that. So it's all good. All right? So, well, you know, I, I don't want to be on the hook. sent money to Washington for the... Uh, the sister who is the vice president of our organization to meet me in Atlanta. I got to send money to California because some big things are happening out there. Um, and so I, I, I'm the godfather without the godfather sure. resource. And so, uh, <laughs> in other words, and I cannot stop doing what I was doing. Even my wife, we mm-hmm. had to use her credit card to get out of the hotel. I put mine up and they said, well, you don't overuse and abuse this. And I said, well, how could that be? Because I have overage, but the guy, he just, he wasn't going to budge. So I said, well, let me go out to the taxi, got my wife's card, paid a little $200 hotel bill. When I got back, uh, the guy was wrong, but I was going to miss the plane, and that would have cost us a day of trying to get a plane. So I just got the card and paid him. So this stuff is important. Reggie knows you got to have resources in order to do what you have to do. What? Hey man, hey the history ain't free. I, I mean, you know we can tell it, but it ain't free. It costs money to, to to keep those documents and stories. It costs money to do all the traveling you do. I mean, come on. I mean, it, I mean, look, <laughs> look. Economics Travel with bodyguards. I'd have to pay for the Sons of Africa. We couldn't pay them, but they would go with us to Brazil. They would go with us to the Caribbean. They would go with us to Africa. You know, so to Harvard, to Yale, to 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 uh to about thirty, forty uh colleges throughout the United States in uh from nineteen ninety one to nineteen ninety four. Right? Donahue show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I feel good. Let me let me get this last caller and we're gonna let you go. All right. Batar, Batar, you got your last question, bro. Oh man, honors. I can't believe you opened me back, moved my line back up. But Dr. Jeffries, um, I really didn't have another question. <laughs> so you, you I'll defer to somebody else to somebody else to make a, to give a question to to the doctor. Um, but nope, yeah, once again, you know, 
That's it. All right. But we love you, Dr. Um, Jeffries. Um, continue to work. Continue to struggle. It ain't, it ain't over till we win. Free the land. Okay. Free the land. And unfortunately, we're going to change me... that equation. That we're programmed <clears throat> to lose. We're born to win, but we're programmed to lose. So we got to change that programming. And knowledge That's is it. a cheap way to do it. And sacrifice and ears, it will make it happen. Um, I'd like to finish it off with this, and then I'm going to let you get your closing statement in before you get off the phone. Um, we're living in a world where, where, where personally, I don't want to hear that you love a person. I need you to show it, right? We're in that time right now. You know, we talk big words, but we got to show it. We support the beast every day in everything we do financially, whether it's buying shoes from them, whether it's eating food, McDonald's, Burger King, and all these things, right, has done harm to us, right? But we got this elder, this giant on the phone that connects us to all the elders to bring this history and this story. So the Amara Squad ain't teaching up new. See, y'all thought, thought it, but no. We just brought y'all back in the focus, back into the elders. So here go one of the elders, one of the giants, man. Don't tell a brother that you love him. Support him. Go to that GoFundMe and continue to do that. Make it a make it a monthly challenge for yourself, right? To donate a couple dollars. That's all you got to do. Nothing heavy. But if we all do it, if we all gave a dollar, the hundreds and hundreds of people that listen to his work, imagine how much money the brother would have every month. So we'll work together. You want to close the statement there, Doctor J? Well, Frederick Douglass said it best: If there is no struggle. There's no progress. And, and those who profess to favor freedom yet deprecate agitation. They don't want to make you to make no noise. They want the rain without the thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one. It may be a political one. But it's got to be a struggle. Power can without a demand. It never did. It never will. For years, the Sons of Africa, led by Reggie, that's how they came together and that's how they left each other with the understanding that there's got to be struggle and you've got to yeah. understand and make your demands and back it up with something meaningful. So we're asking you all to stand with us and let us preserve these legacies, these schools of knowledge, so they can be the power uh, that we need in the future. But thank you, Brother. Madasi P, and that, that's the African in the Akan in Ghana, among the Ashanti, the, the uh, language has Madasi. Many, many thanks. So I have African power. African power, Dr. Jeffrey. Yes. I'm I'm sorry. I wanted to apologize again for doing what I did earlier. I apologize for that. It was a learning. Before you it leave. Was, the ancestors and the creator put that there as a learning experience for you and everybody else. So it, it's not a personal thing. It's a learning yes, experience. To learn to listen to each other and approach. Even if we have the knowledge, we don't go to war with our people with that knowledge. You take the knowledge, put it together, help educate them, and then you put your your firing squad in place to destroy the systems of white supremacy. They've even right. bamboozled two billion Chinese and other Asians to tell them join the white force and let's keep take Africa. So we got a, a struggle. It ain't with the brothers who you disagree with. It's with the systems that are being put in place to enslave us and devastate us in ways that we cannot imagine. So the role and responsibility of your generations is even more than mine because high technology is now there. 
the Chinese are honorary white people. The Indians in India are honorary white people. The mulattoes are honorary. The Arabs are honorary white folks. We standing there. We're going to stand and we're going to take it to them. A, because we're the first people. You got my support. All right, now. All right. Exactly. All right, Doctor J, appreciate you. Um, but you know we we. Well, let's not just say appreciate it. Minister Farrakhan, he he gets before a million people, and he says, "My beloved." Now we're gonna have to learn how to, even if we can't manifest it, it's love <laughs> that is the key. You gotta love to sacrifice. You gotta love to 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 be ready to put your life on the line. That's why my my physical brother, my brother, Jeff. It's a super martial artist in the universal Goju system. Uh, he traveled with me, ready to put his life on the line. When you see me at Harvard, I'm up there with a light-skinned dude who's in such sync with me, he knows what books to pull out of the bag to pass me as I'm saying, that's my brother. That's my younger brother. And so you've got to be prepared to, to find the brotherhood and the, uh, sisterhood and uh, the familyhood that that. And it's built upon, oh, there's a, a later Michael Jackson. He's still got a big afro. Wow. And he's a teenager now. Let me. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, this is crazy looking at this, all this stuff. But I'm sure they're going to show it again. This is CNN. So y'all, y'all check out CNN. All right, Dr. J, we out of here. But we gonna get, we, we'll, we'll have you back on soon. We'll make this a regular occurrence for you to keep that to, to keep that Those go of from you Atlanta, if you want some tapes I'll have the tapes I'll have the Jeffrey's encounter with Mayor oh, Khan yeah. I'll have the trip to Nubia uh south of Egypt I'll have the going to Holland taking on the Dutch in Amsterdam hey we'll have some of uh, stuff that you can personally grab a hold of if you're in That's all. Right. That is all. All right Dr. J appreciate you. All right, and, 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 and we look forward to having you back again. A warm Amin Raw squad. Welcome. Peace. All right, now. Peace. Okay. Hey, man, look. That was the great, the great elder, right? Um, so now I'm going to open y'all lines back up. <laughs> There you go, Lex. Your line is open. What were you saying, Lex? Oh man, you you never let the elder answer my question. You know, you and Reggie kept cutting him off and steering him in certain directions through the whole call. But I didn't say anything. He threw the shot. I wanted I wanted to hear. He did answer the question. No, no, I asked him. Man, y'all still do it, man. But uh, I asked, no, I wanted no. to know. All right, go ahead, brothers. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, he, he asked you a question. No, he didn't get, yeah, he was, he was getting thing. into, he was getting into answering no my question. Talking, but ain't no damn snake talking, nigga. I heard that. And he laughed. I heard that shot. I didn't say, I didn't say I anything thought, about I, a, No, he said. I thought a post. Brother, I didn't say anything say, about a snake. No, I you thought folks were gonna hang out. You didn't say Alex. Okay. Doctor Jeffrey said it. He was Uncle saying Doctor Jeffrey was trying to trying to. Ba- he was basically saying that it's 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 not real. That's what he was saying. He said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, I was I asked him I was asking him about the the, the so called Jews in Africa. The beta Israel and the Sephardic. He answered that question though. You wasn't listening. No, he didn't, bro. He said that, he said that was my question, bro. He said that you you asked whether they're the original people or the original Hebrews. And when if you listen to what the doctor said, I don't know if you heard it, he was like some people take on traditions and systems and, right. and, 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 and deify it. This is what I wanted him to, but what I was asking, what I wanted him to explain is how, if, if he's saying that, that they took on the traditions and systems of other people, that was part of my question, the how did that happen? I wanted to know, he said, if these, if they were the people who was holding these traditions, or if not, then you would have to be saying that some people came into mm -hmm. Africa I'll say at this. some point, um, but what I was saying. Can I, can I ask you a question next? I can answer your question, and I can tell you how the philosophers became Jews, and I can tell you where they come from before they lived in Abyssinia or modern-day Ethiopia, because the term philosopher means foreigner. And when the other Romo groups or the Habesha-speaking groups that live in the northern parts of Oxum, when they came in, that's because they wasn't from there. They came from right. Sudan. And the people that gave them Judaism was the tribe of Sudan, I mean the tribe of Dan who came from the Middle East, a Semitic-speaking group, converted the people, and the people took the traditional system that they had into modern-day Abyssinia. And the reason why other Ethiopian or other Abyssinian groups call them Falasha, it means foreigner. They're not from there. They are from Sudan. They're from Sudan. Well, well I'll okay. say this. I'll this, say this. Brother Reggie, this is Brother Reggie. I'll say this. Um, I'll say this. One of the things that, you know, um, like I'm responsible for bringing Dr. Jeffries on the show, and then I'm also responsible for um, a lot of other things around Dr. Jeffries. I try not to involve him in um, our petty disputes, yeah. right, because he's an elder, right? He can answer uh -huh. a question, and but I don't want him to be uh, controversial. I don't want somebody uh -huh. cursing him out, right? Because <laughs> but, but that was a person. That wasn't really nothing. I wasn't saying it for the argument's sake. I no, really no, wanted to hear. I'm talking in general. I'm not talking about you. So there are, um, like, for example, I, I, um, for example, what you don't know is that if I'm, if I'm, if I'm speaking and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm pretty well equipped to speak in times for him in, but, but to shelter him. Right. So this conversation that I've been involved with for the last two years in this community, um, Dr. Jeffries is my professor. So most of the things that I talk about lead from my professors. But mm -hmm. I, I see how I'm attacked. I just don't want my elder to be attacked. I just want him to speak what he wants to speak about, right? So we could get into specifics later, and we can have another show, and I can ask him if he wants to talk about it, but yeah. I just don't want, I just want to walk them into our community because our, our community right now is really disrespectful, yeah. right? I bring an uh, elder on and he's well into his seventies and people didn't give a damn about Dr. Ben. So I know they're not going to give a damn about Dr. Jeffries. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say that Dr. Jeffries met Haile Selassie. Haile Selassie, uh, I uh, mean, we know Dr. Jeffries though, Reggie. I mean, uh, uh, the reason, you know, I, I, when, you, when you bring someone like Dr. Jeffries on, the reason why I ask questions like that, with all the controversy around things, I feel like, well, this is the, this is the man who can clear this up right now. That's why I said, let me ask this question right now, 
and he can clear it up. And then when he started going into it, y'all like cut it off and like, no, you know, I really want to no. hear. That's you see what I'm saying? He cleared it up. He cleared it up nicely. He cleared it up for you nicely. No, I'm saying he, but he wasn't finished. He wasn't, he was still like kind of going into some things. And he and was going to go he's not focused. He's not focused completely on that question. He's taking a lot of questions. If you want a specific answer, we can bring him back on, and we can uh, we can right. ask. We can we can. Oh, well, obviously, y'all didn't want him to go into it too much, right? No, that's, that's what you said. I appreciate that, but I'm not saying. Hey, no, hey, you everybody need to stop that. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Everybody, hold on for a minute. If you want to know who the hell are y'all, just ask Amaral Squad. We're going to tell you. <laughs> And see, that's a, I don't want, I want Alfred, I consider y'all a little biased. I want to see wait, what the wait, elder, no, 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 I want to hear wait, from the horse's mouth. Yo, do you think we're making that up, though? Come on, man. They, 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 they been dealt with Haven't you listened to my work? Have you listened to, have you listened to any of my work, right? I mean, the, if you, if you, if you was on from the very beginning, I have a very good, um, really close relationship with uh with the scholars so i know what they say but some of the things that they say they won't say openly right um but they but but and and if they want it they want it research based so i wouldn't take a a a question like that that is full with gasoline and put it in his hands (laughs) because they're not they're not um i mean i i don't want yeah, because we ain't I, I mean, I can understand that. I, you know, right. I, I'm not trying to say y'all was intentionally Wait. being... No, I wasn't doing nothing. No, I'm not even going to let you get that recorded on the show. Why are you so hostile, man? I, I'm saying I, w- I was asking a legi- legitimate question for myself. Like, hold on for a minute, man. Are we serious? Come on, man. It's Dr. Lennon Jeffrey, man. He answered your question, yo. You probably got to go back and listen to it. He really did. He handled every aspect of that question, yo. He really did. He gave I think he was. He was. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm saying y'all didn't let him. You didn't like the. You didn't like the answer. You might not. How did I? I'm not gonna say. You might not have liked that. Come come on, talk. Come on, man. Everybody can't talk. Let me just talk for him. Listen. He answered the question, man. He was simply saying, yo, did you take cousins and you did find him, yo? He said that. He kind of put right. that, he put that right there. And well, I know that answer. I, I know that, I, but I understood, I understood that. As I hear, me and you have had those conversations. I wanted, I wanted to see what he was going to say, how it happened. Like, and Gozi just went in a little and saying, you know what I mean? I wanted to hear, see what he had to say in terms of the history and migration. If he's saying that these people... Because they, they say they are who they are. This is this is what I'm saying. They say they are who they are. So <laughs> if we're converted, saying that they don't, no, they got converted. Hey, you got eight one eight one zero. Your line is open. Eight one zero. Line is open. All right, go ahead, Lex. Come on, man. You know. So I was just saying. I haven't heard nothing. Yeah, I have heard nothing solid. So you're basically solid. saying some white people you know, came into Ethiopia? No. No, 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 no. They wasn't, no, they wasn't white. They wasn't white. Really? They were olive-complected olive people from the Middle East. Because we can't, we can't call people from the Middle East. There are white people in the Middle East, white. but the original people from the Middle East wasn't white. But what I'm saying is, is that mm-hmm. olive-complected Eurasians came in into Sudan and converted a few people. 
Then you have Wait. to study. You have to study Wait. the beat of Israel. Or, or you have to study. Let me just finish. You have to study the beat of Israel or the Falasha group's language linguistically. They don't speak. Uh. A he, they don't speak a Hebrew language or a Semitic language. They speak a Cushitic oh. Romo language. Now, when you look.